0: I think I'd like to move into a question and answer time because today for whatever reason there's a lot of question, wonder, um, looking at things in the room that seems to be moving. So why don't we have somebody just bring a mic forward. I guess Laura, one of the Lauras is going to do it. And if you have a question or if you have something you'd like to share, just please raise your hand and... We'll go from there. <laughs> and we'll volunteer you if you don't volunteer yourself. Well, I'll just begin to share until somebody comes up with the question then. Sometimes There's a question hanging in the room, but people are afraid to put it out in the room. So what is this life journey all about? Why are we born? Why do we come into existence at all down here in this physical world and find as we move through this physical world that it isn't grace and ease and joy and peace and abundance and everything that we've wanted, but rather it's often struggle and disappointment. It's because life in the physical world is a life living in separation from the truth of who we truly are. And we come down into the greatest extreme of separation in order to begin to truly take the next step in the search of understanding and awakening to the divine truth of who we are. Life is joy, and life is not so joyful when you're in the physical form and living in separation. There are moments of joy but there's also those moments where you live in such separation that you feel as though nothing will ever be joyful again. I can remember as I was growing up and I was very blessed in the sense that I've always been very aware of God's presence first. That's why I always say God first and God only. But there were times too where I didn't see God first. I saw the stress and the pain and the sorrow of this world first. And the first time I really witnessed it was when I was five years old. At five years old, I was very aware of God first and God only. I was very aware of God in my life, God inside me, God in others, God in the situation. But I was also made aware of what it looked like, what it felt like to live in the separation from the knowing of that truth of God first and God only. And that was the day when I was five years old that I was taken into a hospital and was allowed to go up to the floor to visit my mother who was in the hospital and to come in and visit with her and to be with her. And my father and my brother and my two aunts that had flown in because she had been diagnosed with cancer. Well, at the age of five, I had no idea what was really going on. But I knew that when I walked in that room, it wasn't a joyful place. You could feel it. Have you ever walked into a place and you're feeling great? And you walk in and within two seconds, it's like something just hits you. And you've got a headache or your stomach all tightens up. Or you can just feel the tension in the room, and you're going, "Uh uh-oh, what happened? Well, that's how it was for me. I walked into this room in that attitude of God first and God only, not knowing what was really happening, other than it was going to be a joyful moment to go visit my mother in the hospital. I didn't like having her there and me at home, the separation. But when I walked in, I knew this was not a joyful place. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. First I walked in and there were all these flowers and people there and I thought, oh, this is going to be nice. But very quickly I could feel this darkness, this heaviness, this burden. And so I walked in and I just began to to watch, to see what was going on, to try to listen in the conversation. And the more I was there, and the more I listened, and the more I tried to participate, as a five-year-old might possibly ever be able to in that situation, I began to look, and I began to see that everybody was living in separation. Separation from God first in their lives, but also separation from within themselves. And I began to see how they were living in denial and they were denying something. I didn't know what they were denying, but they were denying something. We left, went on home, had no idea still at the age of five what was going on. Nobody was telling me, well, your mother has cancer, it may be terminal, we don't know yet, and so on. But when my mother came home, finally one day she said, Jim, come on, let's go in the living room, let's sit down and talk. And she began to share with me what was going on as best she could with somebody who was five years old. Well, all the time that she was talking, what I was really feeling was her heartache and her separation from her truth, the loving, the joy, the peace that is her own soul, and She was not wanting to put it upon me, but she was putting that same sense of separation and longing and loneliness on me and defining what was going on. And I didn't want that definition. I didn't want that definition of life and death and pain and sorrow and hardness and difficulty. And I knew something different. I knew the loving. I knew the joy. I knew the grace that God is in our lives if we choose into it and so I began to share with her from my perspective and I said mom don't put that pain on me you're hurting me I don't want that I see this as an opportunity I see this is a moment for you to grow into and I tried to share with her the best I could my understanding of what it is to live in the loving, to live in God, and to live in the separation from that. And as we talked, she kept saying, Jim, I don't understand what you're talking about, and I don't think you understand what I'm talking about. I'm very ill. And I realized when she said that, I'm very ill, and I want you to know that. What she was really wanting me to do is to go into her pain with her, and into feeling sorry with her and for her. And so I allowed myself just to be quiet and to listen to her story. And then she told me something very wonderful. And she said, Jim, ever since I was 12 years old, I have had one prayer that I've always prayed. And I think this prayer is going to be my salvation in this lifetime. And I think it's going to be my salvation right now with this cancer. And so I kind of perked up. I went, a prayer? Okay, what is it? This may be the way we can can move forward here. And she said that when she was adopted by this man who was a Baptist minister and she being Jewish, And she was forced to convert to Christianity. She decided right then and there that it wasn't going to be forced on her. It was going to be her choice. And so as a good Jewish girl, she said her prayers that she had learned in synagogue, in school. And she also began to pray to this one that her new stepfather wanted her to pray to, which was Jesus. And she began to ask him, come, demonstrate to me if you're true or not. Come, let me know. Let me know that you truly are real and that you truly are what they say you are. I don't know. And I want proof. I want to know. And she said she prayed that prayer every day in some form or another, every day from that time on. She never knew, all those years, she never knew whether or not he was true or not. But she kept asking, she kept praying until the day that she was in the hospital and they came to share with her that she had cancer. And she was sitting there, the doctor was sitting there, and he began to share with her what was going on. And all of a sudden she said, I felt something or someone touch my heart. And it was just pure love. And as the doctor talked, I got happy. I was joyful. I was grateful. And I knew that whatever this cancer was about, it was going to serve me. And it was going to give me a sense of understanding that I've never had. And I knew that this touch in my heart was what I'd been looking for. This was validation that God truly does exist in my life. And she felt then that that was validation of this one that she had been taught about and she had been praying to all those years this Jesus. And so, when the doctor left and she and my father were sitting there talking, she was still in a sense of joy. But my father went into great concern and fear. And she had a difficult time staying in the joy with him in this fear. And then the phone calls came with her sisters more fear, more concern, more disturbance pulling her out of that until finally when she came home from the hospital, she felt that she had left that experience and that loving that she felt touch her heart at the hospital somehow. It wasn't with her there until when we began to talk again, all of a sudden it came present. And she said, You've given me something today, and I didn't understand it, and I still don't understand exactly what it is you're trying to tell me, but all of a sudden I realize I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything. It's not in anybody; It's in me. I've got to trust my own experience and my own truth and follow that and not get caught up in other people's process. And so she began to approach her cancer and approach her, new process of life in a very different way. And every once in a while she'd lose track of it and she'd call me back in the living room and we'd sit down and we'd just talk again until finally she'd get a smile on her face and she goes, okay, I'm ready, let's go. And it would be off to chemotherapy or off to radiation or to whatever it was that she had to go to do. But she did it in loving. And I learned something through that whole process. It's really a choice. It's my choice. It's my choice as to how I'm going to live into my life. It's my choice as to how I'm going to live with other people in their process of their life. And it's my choice as to whether I get caught up in their process or not. It's my choice as to whether I take on their process that they have running for me or with me. And live it rather than my own truth? It's my choice. And I can remember on from that day sitting there in the living room realizing it's always my choice. I can choose to smile or I can choose to cry. I can choose to live in other people's pain or I can choose to live in my joy. I can choose to make my life joyful or painful depending upon. How I want to approach a situation and how I want to live. What attitude am I living in? And sometimes it's very easy to hold to that truth of loving inside, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's easy to get caught up in other people's process, and other people's sorrow, and other people's anger, and to lose sight of my own truth. And sometimes it's very easy for me to get caught up in my own. A very good example came today. I had been doing some things in in the house. And as I looked out the window, I saw the deer. And they were out there waiting to get some corn. So I got up and I went out to feed the deer and I... Put some corn down and more deer came and they started to eat and then I looked down at the end of the driveway and there was this white dog, just focused, just looking. We have a couple of neighbors up above that are hunters and they have their hunting dogs and this one, he lets this one roam sometimes. And he was just focused on the dogs, I mean on the deer. And I knew what was going to happen next. And that was he was going to start chasing the deer. And I tried to do what I could to get between him and the deer. And the deer became aware of them. And if you've ever watched a deer, what one or two will do is they'll snort, stomp their foot, and off they run. And that's what they did. Well, as soon as they started moving, that dog started moving too and following. And it's just a game for the dog. He's not going to hurt them. He's been taught to corral them, to herd them towards the hunters, and that's what he was doing. Not that anybody was hunting them, but that's what he was doing, just as what he's been taught. And I realized no matter how much I tried to get between him and the deer, no matter how much I tried to dissuade him from what he was going to do, He was focused, he was determined, and he was going to do it no matter what. And as I stood there and I watched all this unfold, and I even watched myself get caught up in it and get angry and get off-center for my loving, I just realized there's this unfolding process for us all, and we're going to do it our way. And if we're fixated on something, we're going to do it. No matter what anybody else says or does to try to stop us, we're going to do it until it gets done. So all of a sudden I had to step back and I had to kind of catch myself for a moment and say, wait a minute. You know, I'm trying to stop the natural flow of things here. Things are set up. Things are moving forward as they are planned and set up to be. And I'm trying to intercede where intercession isn't going to work. And as I stood back, I kind of laughed a little bit inside myself. Not at the situation. I still wasn't too happy about that. But I had to laugh at myself. And as I did, it was very funny. We have some neighbors that just moved into a house up above. And the property above us is an empty lot. And this mother and her daughter were sitting on this ledge up in the woods up there, kind of looking down and watching this whole process without me being aware of it. And they were watching me trying to stop the dog from going after the deer and trying to get the deer to come back and eat their corn and just whatever the process looked like to them, I have no idea. But all of a sudden as I stood back and I sort of take a bigger picture of everything rather than so focused on something, And I looked back and I saw them, and they saw me seeing them. We both, or all three of us, started laughing at the same time. And I realized that sometimes we can get so fixated on something that we don't see the big picture. And we get so caught up in something that we really don't see what really is present what the opportunity is in the moment for us to experience or to learn. And so it was a great experience of keeping open to the greater picture of life and to the joy that's ever-present if we can just do it. And yes, to see the seriousness, but also to see the humor or the loving or the growth opportunity that's there. So... In your life, look to always see if you're fixated on something, if you're focused, if you're trying to force a situation, stop in that moment and just step back and take a deep breath and see if you can get a bigger picture of it. And don't let yourself stay stuck, but ever look to see, how can I move forward in this? How can I grow? How can I choose? How can I change? That's how I keep moving forward. And the way I do it is I look to find God first and God only in every situation. Recently I've had people call or write letting me know that that statement has really irritated them. I had one woman who's told me, Jim, when you first said that, that's the last thing I needed to hear from you. I've always told you I don't know that I believe in God. I'm doing this meditation for a lot of different reasons, but not to find God. And all you keep saying now is God first and God only in your meditation, in your daily life. And she said, I was about ready to give up on you when you started pushing on this until finally one day I said, what the heck, I'll try it. And so she said, she just started inviting God in to everything, everything, every moment, every experience until finally one day God did show up. And her life began to transform. And now she's got peace and joy and loving in her life in a way that she's never had it before. And she said, I just want to thank you for being persistent and for continuing to say something, even if it doesn't make sense to all of us. Eventually, if we will do the inner work it wakes up inside to the point that we truly know the truth of what you say. And it is all simple, she said. And so if we can approach everything, all the things in our life, putting God first, in the birth of a child, in the death of a loved one, in the change of a job, in a divorce, in a marriage, whatever it might be, put God first, see God first, Invite God in first. Then we'll begin to see the bigger picture and see the glory and the joy and the beauty of that. It's so funny. I had a lot of inner experience as a child, going to different places and learning and seeing different things. And I had this one spiritual teacher who would take me on wonderful journeys to different places. And one day we were at a hospital. Now, I'm not in body, I'm in the spiritual body with this teacher. And we go into uh, a room, and they're giving birth to a child. And everybody's happy, and everybody's joyful, and everybody's celebrating. And they're greeting this new soul coming into the world. And it's a happy moment. And the teacher says nothing for the longest time, and... Then he says to me, do you see, do you see, do you see? And I said, yes, I do. And he says, no, you don't see the whole picture. Come, look higher. And as I did, there was also the awareness of those souls of another realm that the soul was coming from into this physical birth, also celebrating the opportunity for that soul to be born again into individualized human form and to have the opportunity to learn and grow at this level and so I saw the greater celebration of life and then we went to another place in the hospital and somebody was dying and so I immediately looked up because that's where I last looked and that's where I saw the greater joy so I looked up and I saw all these souls greeting the person who was dying and they were just celebrating, welcoming them. <laughs> this was a new birth for them. They would be born into life at this new level. And then the teacher showed me how people at this level weren't so, so joyful and celebrating. And he said that's where the work needs to be done. This is a joyful moment. So take and help people to see the joy in both events, that they are both birthing moments of the soul into the next part of their journey of life. And be joyful in this. And I've had my opportunities over my lifetime to put into practice what I witnessed and what I was told with my mother, with my father, with my brother, with a niece with a nephew-in-law, and with a lot of other people in situations. And I found that if I can raise that inside of me to be joyful in celebration at the transition of somebody, as well as the birth of somebody coming in, I stay in that moment of the loving presence where God is first. And then I see God in every situation, birth, death, or whatever it might be, in their life, in my life. So invite God into everything into your pain, into your sorrow, into your separation, into your joy, into everything. And the more you invite God in, you're going to find God coming forward. It's an invitation. And God welcomes an invitation to come in and participate. He will not impose himself, but He will come in if invited. And that I learned early on from my mother's experience. Now, she started at the age of 12 saying this prayer. She made an invitation every day, every day, every day, every day, until she was 42. And that invitation was answered in a very real way, in a very conscious way. And later we talked when she was in her 60s, when she was going through another challenging time with the cancer. And she said, you know, it didn't start at the hospital. I thought it did. But it actually started the day I said that first prayer. But I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to trust it. I wanted to make my stepfather wrong, so I didn't allow it. And it wasn't until I was truly in a place of hopelessness that I finally let it happen in the hospital. And she said, I could have had it all those years, but I didn't allow it. And from that statement, I said, I'm going to always allow it. Inside myself, I can remember saying it so clearly. From here on, I'm going to always allow it. I'll never deny it. I'll never turn away from it. And so that's... Is a little voice that's always inside of me, and what are you allowing now? And what are you allowing now? So find how you can bring yourself, even in the midst of what the world would call turmoil and hardship, bring yourself into loving and gratitude and joy. Because it's there. I had a teacher say one time, Jim, you may as well just laugh at it now because one day you're going to look back on the situation and you're going to laugh. Now, right now, that doesn't make sense. This is a miserable moment. You're angry, you're upset, you're fearful. There's nothing to laugh at here. But one day you're going to look back on it and go, man, and just laugh. So laugh at it now. And so I do what I can to find the laughter, to find the humor in a moment. To see if I can find, well, what am I going to laugh at in the future about this so I can laugh at it now? Find the joy, find the humor. And the way I do that is to look and see what is the lesson? What is the opportunity here for me to learn? And then step into the opportunity and into the learning, into the experience and continue on. So I hope that answers whatever question was that was floating in the room and didn't get asked. That's my answer to the unanswered question. (laughs) Uh, All right. Oh, yeah, we have some announcements. We keep doing things different all the time.
1: Yeah, we're doing another experiment, trying to do announcements at the end of class because the group always, always doubles in size when meditation occurs. It's just amazing how that happens. So that way more of you will hear what's going on. So some of you are maybe all of you received in the mail um, a notice about next week's Sunday. Um, next Sunday we are going to begin doing the Sunday class um, from 3 to 5 in the afternoon rather than the 10.30 to 12.30 in the morning. So just a reminder... And also, if you didn't hear when we did talk about this um, a couple of weeks ago, um, just to let you know, uh, we had many considerations for changing the time of the class. And when we had originally done it about two and a half, three years ago to do the morning time from Tuesday night, that just seemed to be where most people were voting for. But then the group has actually gotten smaller and smaller over the years um, in doing that. And over that time, we've been hearing people consistently saying, I would come if you do it in the afternoon. I can't make it in the morning. Or um, I'm losing some of the things. Well let me just go over a few. Some of the considerations, so you know, we had people who um, we had to keep in mind as far as like night vision. So we wanted to keep daylight hours. That's why Tuesday night. Some people couldn't come, so we're trying to make it available. Um, Other people have other things in the morning. Some people, what, just aren't morning people or have health conditions.
0: (laughs) Or Sunday's the only day off you want to sleep in. (laughs) Sunday's the only
1: day off. And other people said, well, I like morning because the afternoon it gives me the rest of the day to do things. So that and many more reasons. And so we've had all kinds of considerations um, in trying to come up with a time that seemed to kind of fit in the middle of all that, knowing we're not going to be able to please everybody. And so the 3 to 5 is a time that... Still gives time in the first half of the day for the people who wanted to do things during the day and enough time at the end to have dinner and relax and unwind before going to work. <coughs> Excuse me <coughs> boy um so just to let you know, there's a lot of a lot of considerations before we finally came with that time that seemed to be a nice middle of the road for everybody's concerns in that way. so just the reminder um and if you didn't get it, we sent a mail out just to the area here. Um, Just as a reminder, next Sunday, three to five, we'll be doing the class here. And also, uh, the next movie night over at Tom and Laura's is this Friday. And we'll be gathering starting around 6 p.m., having some uh, homemade soup and a slice of great bread. I know you stand here, but there's always much more food than just soup and bread. Salads, desserts, crackers, cheese, whatever. There's all kinds of stuff always as far as the food goes. And this Friday, um, the movie's going to be Gandhi. So we're just talking about that. Um, if you come for the movie at other times, this Gandhi, we are just talking, it's kind of a longer one. I don't remember exactly how long, about three hours or maybe even a little longer. So we might start a little earlier, like at maybe 7 the movie instead of 7.38 o'clock or something just because it's a longer movie. So just be aware of that. If, um, if you do plan on coming to the movie night, and if you haven't come yet, come and check it out. It's kind of a nice... Just a social time together over at Tom and Laura's, having dinner, communing together, just enjoying the views they have out there of Lake Travis from their house, as well as just being together and watching a great movie. So um, check it out, or if you haven't come for a while, come again. So um, quite a few things here, actually. I'm going to cover a couple more things um, coming up. In three weeks from today, we also have the Coins for Kids Annual Shopping Service Project, Um, So, three weeks from now, on Sunday, November 21st, or 23rd, I'm sorry, November 23rd, we'll be meeting at 9.30 a.m. over at the Super Target um, off of uh, Parmer and I-35 over there, and um, to do our morning of shopping, and during that, do we, do you have any news, uh, Laura Doggett, of anything, do we even have Christmas lists yet, I don't think, uh, do we? Oh great! Okay, great. So we'll we'll have our little uh, wish list or shopping list um, for those of you who may have, may not have been there. We all we gather usually at the Starbucks um, area uh, for food and coffee. People want, and we have a little meeting, and that's where we go over everything. And Laura hands out the wish list um, we give to everybody who comes to shop for uh, gifts that children are asking for at Christmas time for those. Children that wouldn't normally have the opportunity, you know, uh, whatever needs, often financial, of course. And this is a wonderful service project we've been doing for years and assisting in that called the Coins for Kids. So I'm um, also as a reminder then, if you've been saving your coins up all year long, I just saw somebody bring in a big piggy bank full this morning, um, now's the time to get all those coins or if you want to make some other donation, whether it's coins, cash, or even we had somebody bring in a a bunch of wonderful stuffed toys, uh, stuffed animals and stuff. Um, We take things like that as well. We used to have, I know my mom actually, she knits, so she knits a lot of blankets every year as well um, to bring. And we used to have little baby sweaters and things like that. So if you have something like that, that's fine too. But otherwise, um, just be aware, uh, now's the time to get in the donations, whatever that may be. And of course, donating your time if you want to show up uh, three weeks from today and do the shopping over there. And we have all, of course, you know, flyers on the back table for all this stuff for you guys. And um, just the last thing here, Saturday, just to let you be aware already, Saturday, December 6th um, starting at 4pm is when we're planning our annual Christmas potluck party over at Jim's in my house. So just be aware of that, maybe put that in your calendars if you want to come. Again, Saturday, December 6th, starting at 4 and I think this year we're planning the little golf cart again and valet parking and all that good stuff like we did last year. That's going to be a pretty big hit last year. So, um, yeah. So yeah. put that up. Okay. Go ahead.
0: No, go ahead. I was going to say free rides for everybody. Free rides. <laughs> the kids love it. They just get the valet guys to say, one more time up the hill. <laughs> all right.
1: Let's go. For now? We'll cover the other later. Yeah. All right. I guess that's it for now. So thank you, and we'll see you next week, 3 to 5.
0: We'll talk about it next week.